This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, When All Has Been Heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. I'd like to pray before we begin. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for bringing us together to look at the past, how we have led us in the past with the publishing work and what you're doing through our young people and through faithful members today. And thank you that we'll be reminded also what's in store for us in the future. And we just pray for your presence. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher this morning. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So you just watched a video of our young people working for God. And it's very inspiring to see what young people are doing for God today. But you know, we're building up on, 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 on the, something that was set in the, in the past. The foundation that was set in the past. And if you go back to, to the proclamation of the message, you really have to start with Willie Miller. Now, Willie Miller was a farmer. He was a farmer that God called to preach. And there's something about God calling people from business world into the ministry. They, they, they always add something special to it. And so William Miller really didn't want to preach. But finally, in 1831, he responded to the call and began to preach. The problem was that he was getting too many invitations. Too many people wanting him to come and preach. And he says, I have to deal with this problem. And the way he would deal with this problem was that he would publish his sermons. He would print those sermons, thinking, if I can only print those sermons, I will have less invitations. Well, that was not the case. In fact, many more people want him to preach now. And so he learned that when you combine the preaching of the ministry with the printed word, you can actually do so much more for the Lord. Now, in 1839, he met Joshua V. Himes. Joshua V. Himes was really a brilliant man. He was a man who had a gift in marketing, and he was an organizer. And he, when he listened to William Miller, he says, well, you got a great message. you got to be going to, to bigger halls and, and preach before bigger crowds. And that's exactly what he did. But Joshua V. Himes... He made, he made many contributions, but one of them was the printing aspect of the ministry. And he's the one who actually started the Signs of the Times magazine. Isn't that interesting? Now, within four years, the Adventist message was proclaimed in different cities. And different cities would have different magazines like the Midnight Cry, the Glad Tidings, the Advent Chronicles, the Jubilee Trumpet the Philadelphia Alarm, the voice of Elijah, the Southern Midnight Cry, the Western Midnight Cry, the True Midnight Cry, and many others. Now listen to this. Before the great disappointment of October 22, 1844, 8 million copies of Adventist literature found the people and spread the word. Imagine that. There were around 20 million people living in the United States at the time, and they were in those four years they distributed 8 million pieces of literature. That's just incredible. Now, after the great disappointment, 
This was now a year later, 1845. The Sabbath message was introduced in, in, a, in a major way. There was a man by the name Thomas Preble, and he wrote a tract, and this was the title of the tract. Tract showing that the seventh day should be observed as a Sabbath instead of the first day according to the commandment. It's almost like half of the tract, you know, the title was pretty long. Well, there were a couple of young men. One of them was John and Andrews, and the second one was Marian Stowell. Now, they lived together. You see, at that time, the people believed that Jesus was coming soon, and so they would sell their properties, they would sell their homes, their farms, and now the Stowell family had nowhere to live. And so the Andrews family embraced them and they stayed with them. And these two young men got hold of that tract by Preble. And they read it. And the whole, both families began to observe the Sabbath. Another man that got a hold of the same tract was Joseph Bates. I hear you've heard of Captain Joseph Bates, right, before. He read the Sabbath tract as well. He didn't believe in the Sabbath till then. But when he read it, he got really excited. And so that day he traveled to see Frederick Wheeler. He knew this man believed in the Sabbath message. So he traveled to his home. He arrived around 10 o'clock in the evening, knocked on his door. And of course, they're like, who is at the door? But, you know, people back then were very hospitable. And it was not uncommon for people to knock on people's doors and spend the night with them. And he says, you know, I need to talk to you about the Sabbath. And the whole night they had a Bible study. And they studied the Sabbath message. When Joseph Bates was coming home, he was welcomed by his neighbor, uh, who actually was a fellow believer, but didn't believe in the Sabbath. And he says, what's the news, Captain Bates? He says, the news is that the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord our God. The Adventists had a model to follow in sharing the message through preaching and publishing. That was something that was established by the Millerites. And when we have moved on with the movement we have adapted that, that concept. Now, this is what Sister White wrote. She says, Our publish, publishing work was established by the direction of God and under His special supervision. It was designed to accomplish a specific purpose. That's very comforting to know that the, this work, the publishing work, was established under the direction of God. God was the one who was leading this work. Now, when I read it was designed for a specific purpose... I want to know what that is. Because if we are involved in the publishing work, we want to make sure that we're doing the right work, right? This is what she says. She says, the publications sent forth from our printing houses are to prepare people to meet God. That is the purpose of our publishing work. To prepare the world to meet God. And then she says, throughout the world, they are to do the same work that was done by John the Baptist for the Jewish nation. Now, I found this fascinating. John the Baptist has an had an important role to play in preparing the world to meet Jesus when he came the first time. And she, Ellen White says that before Jesus comes the second time, the publications will play that role. So Joseph Bates believed now in the message. Only a year later, he produced a 46-page booklet. That, meant, that man was studying the Sabbath message. And this was the title of that booklet. 
the seventh-day Sabbath a perpetual sign from the beginning to the entering into the gates of the holy city according to the commandment. That's a deep title, isn't it? I'll tell you what, the inside is pretty deep too. Now, James and Ellen White read that tract. They were just married. and They read the tract and they believed in the Sabbath message as well. It was only two years later when Sister White had a vision. It was a vision about the publishing work, and she says, she says, at a meeting held in Dorchester, Massachusetts, in November 1848. They were meeting there. It was called the Sabbath Conference. They would meet to discuss the Sabbath message. And they had the conferences in different times of the year. And so this was in November. And she says, I had been given a view of the proclamation of the sealing message and of the duty of the brethren to publish the light that was shining upon our pathway. So she says the sealing message must be published. Then she says, after coming out of vision, I said to my husband, you must begin to print a little paper and send it out to the people. Let it be small at first. But as the people read, they will send you means with which to print, and it will be a success from the first. And that's exactly what happened. They began to print a little paper. They would send it out, and people would begin to send money. And she was, they were able to print more and more and more books. But then she gives a beautiful promise to the future. She says, from this small beginning, it was shown to me to be like streams of light that went clear around the world she says it will start small but it's going to end big you know i can just imagine the pioneers starting the publishing work and they would pass the baton of somebody else the torch of light passing on to another generation and another generation if i can only see with the eyes of faith seeing the pioneers looking at us today and we're holding the torch and they're just cheering us on it started small but it will be big at the end and so, a year later, you know, it's, it's really funny. She kind of shows the nature of husbands a little bit. Uh, in 1848, she had that vision. She t tells her husband, James, we must begin to print a paper. And, of course, he wrestles with this. They have no money. There's around 100 believers, 100, you know, church members. There's not many people. And, and he wrestles with them. And finally, he's in a meeting with some other brethren. And they say, oh, we must begin to print a paper. And he comes home and says, Ellen, we must begin to print a paper. And uh, I can just imagine, I don't know if she would do that, but you know, well, I told you so. And here's a description from Sister White of what was happening. They printed those papers, they would fold them and they would kneel down. And she says, the precious printed sheets were brought into the house and laid on the floor. And then a little group of interested ones were gathered in and we knelt around the papers. I just love the spirit there. And then she says, And with humble hearts and many tears, besought the Lord to let His blessing rest upon these printed messengers of truth. If only God can give us the passion for souls, like our pioneers had. You know, it was like uh, John Knox, the great reformer of Scotland. He says, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. You know, when he prayed for the, for the country of Scotland, he says, Lord, give me Scotland or there's no reason to live. And these, these are pioneers with, with tears in their eyes. 
just prayed for those pieces of literature. You know, as we hand out books, as we hand out tracts, why not pray for the books? I remember I was coming here to GYC and, and um, I had to get gas and I picked up my family at the hotel and, and we left some literature in the hotel and we said, let's just pray for the literature. Let's just pray that it will reach the right people. And here is a picture of James White walking eight miles to Middletown to carry the literature to be, to be sent off. And so the publishing work and yet unformed denomination had begun. Now this is early 1850s. The review gets very involved in printing, of course. They're printing many tracts. And Uriah Smith was an editor. He was a he was a very gifted young man. But he also had to sometimes go in the back and and cut tracks. And he would actually use penknife to cut the edges of the tracks. And this is how Smith remembered this being done. He, he said, even though um, the tracks were square in doctrine, the pages were not sometimes. Sister White wrote, she said, our, pub, our, our literature is to be distributed everywhere. The truth is to be sown besides all water, for we know not which will prosper, this or that. Listen to this now. In our erring judgment, we may think it unwise to give literature to the very ones who would accept the truth the most readily. We know not what may be the result of giving away a leaflet containing present truth, which is done of the hearts of people. You know, sometimes we may look at somebody and say, no, they would not take this or they're not ready for this. And we may be just surprised. Stephen Haskell, a great pioneer of our church, once a young preacher for a Sunday keeping church, was traveling to Canada to preach. And on the way he met, he met William Sackby. And he, he gave him a tract about the Sabbath. Now, Stephen Haskell took that tract, he read it, and he was actually on the boat traveling to Canada. He got off the boat five miles before his final destination, went into the woods. It happened to be the Sabbath morning, Sabbath day. And there he wrestled with the Lord all day. Just wrestled with the Lord and with the message he just read. And finally, he surrendered. And then he said, according to the best light I had, the seventh day was the Sabbath, and I would keep it until I could get further light. Now, of course, we try to get the message to, to the world, and we would begin to print them in different languages, like Swedish and German and French, and this just shows you how we wrestled with things. There was a Lutheran preacher who actually translated a Sabbath track into German. And they were just not sure if it was translated well. And so finally, they just went ahead and they recalled the tract. Like, we're just not ready to send this to more people. This was 1850s. Now, 1858, Sister White had a vision. She was attending a funeral in Ohio. And while there, she had a vision about the Great Controversy, the Great Controversy theme. And then she traveled home. She's now on the way back to Butler Creek. And she stopped in Jackson to visit the Palmer's family, the friends, the Sabbath keepers. And while she was there, she, uh, she, she was attacked physically. Like she, she, she was paralyzed. 
And so they thought that she would die. And finally she arrived back home in Battle Creek. And God showed her that the devil never wanted to write the great controversy, the book of the great controversy. So he really wanted to be killed. But she survived. And then she later on she wrote, while writing the manuscript of the great controversy, I was often conscious of the presence of the angels of God. Now in 1860, we finally adopted the name Seventh-day Adventist. And what happened was we were not planning to start a church. We just happened to have a publishing house and we just, we just needed somebody to own it. And so we decided to start an organization called Seventh-day Adventist. And so we can have, we can have the, the business, the publishing house, under a name. And a, late, a year later, the Mission Conference was established. And in 1863, the General Conference was established. Now, in 1868, something very interesting happened. We started the tract ministry. It was started by four women who were praying for their children. And then they decided women would do some missionary work, and so they began to send literature out. They even studied French and German so they could minister to the recipients of the literature. They would mail the literature overseas. Now, what a great reason to learn a language, isn't it? So you can minister to someone. Now, Haskell, by now he's the conference president in New England. And he learns about what the, what the women are doing. And so he actually renamed it to Track the Missionary Society, which became a huge movement in the Adventist Church. Started with four women praying for their children. Finally, James White heard about it. And he just said, you know, I can see this so much bigger than just your conference. I can see this worldwide. And so Stephen Haskell became the coordinator of the Track the Missionary Society for the entire world church. It says that societies began to spring up here and there, and wherever there was a lively tract and missionary society, there was sure to be a thriving, growing church. That's good news, isn't it? You want a good, thriving church? You want some literature ministry in your church? That's back then. And it says Haskell had always favored the free use of the tracts, he would never forget that it was a tract that had focused his attention on the Sabbath message. Now in 1874, to kind of support the Tract and Mission Society, they started a magazine called True Missionary. And this is what Sister White wrote in the magazine. She says, I have been given, I have been shown that the publications already have been doing a work upon some minds in other countries in breaking down the walls of prejudice and superstition. So the use of literature that they saw was that it would break down and it would prepare the hearts for people to receive the message. So in 1868, we see a revival of a tract ministry. But in 1868, something else happened. We have discovered something that year. They, we had a care meeting in Wright, Michigan. And during that care meeting time, we decided that we would sell our literature for the first time. We have never really placed a value in our literature, and we were shocked. We could sell Adventist literature. So during care meeting time, we sold the literature. In 1874, uh, Jane Andrews is 
called to go as a missionary to Europe. And the reason why he actually ended up going to Europe is because there was another missionary that went to Europe, Michael Tchaikovsky. Now, he wanted the General Conference to send him, but the General Conference said, no, I don't think we can send you for different reasons. So finally, he, had, he found Sunday, Sunday Keeping Adventist Church, who ended up, or Adventist Church, who ended up sending him as a missionary to Switzerland, but he was proclaiming the Adventist message to the people. And one day while he was gone, his, his new flock, people who believe in the Adventist message, found some literature, Adventist literature, that he owned. And they ended up writing to Bottle Creek and they said, we believe in the message. And so the General Conference invited a couple of them to come to the General Conference session, which they missed. But finally they discovered there is a group of believers in Europe. And so in, in response to the work of, of Tchaikovsky and the literature that was there, they ended up sending Jan Andrews there. Now in Denmark, again, it was through publishing work that we started the work. New Zealand. Um, New Zealand is a great place. I heard it's a beautiful island. And again, friends and relatives were sending literature to New Zealand. New Zealand. That's how we started the work there. There was a miner from, from Nevada who came to South Africa, brought literature with him. Now, this is one of my favorite stories about how the work started in Russia. Uh, his name was Gerhard Perk. And he had a conversation with his neighbor. They were talking about, well, this is what the neighbor said. He says, he tells... Perk, he says, for three years, I have had some very dangerous publications in my house. I have never given them to anyone to read. Indeed, these publications are so dangerous that even the, the earnest member of the Brethren Church might be led astray by them. And so Brother Perk pleaded with him, please let me see this. Please let me. I mean, how can you say you have a dangerous literature and then say, I cannot let you see it? Finally, he let him see it and he Brother Perk believed in the message as a result of the literature. And there was Philip Rywick. He was German-Russian. He lived somewhere in Minnesota, Wisconsin. And he had a burden to go back to Russia and spread the message as well. But the General Conference looked at him and says, No, you know, he was 80 years old. He, uh, he stuttered. He couldn't talk well. He, um, he had a poor eyesight. And they said, no, I don't think we, we can send you to overseas. Finally, he says, I'll just go by myself. And so he did. He went back home to Crimea. And this is the method he used. He would go to uh, the village marketplace and he would ask someone to read the track. He would say, I cannot read well. Can you read this for me? And as they would read it for him, he would watch their face expressions. As, they, as he would see the interest in their faces, he would just say, you can keep it. It's a brilliant way to evangelize. In England, again, it was through literature ministry. Now, in 1880, there was a man by the name George King who wanted to be a preacher, but he just couldn't do it. They, they let him preach, and he just couldn't do it. And finally, Sister White says, you know, maybe you can be a fireside preacher. In other words, you could be a coal porter. And that's how the whole idea of canvassing coal porter work was started. Abraham LaRue. Same thing, the General Conference just didn't feel like he could, he could do it. He was too old, but he went anyway, and he made big, great impact in China and other parts of that region in spreading and printing the message. Pitcairn Islands, You've, you have seen black squirrels, that's where they come from. 
We sent a box of literature there. The island leaders were very suspicious about it. They would not touch it. Finally, many years later, the younger leaders opened the box. They read it. And at that time, a missionary, Adventist missionary, came to the island. And all the islanders became Adventists as well. Caribbean islands. The story of the Seventh-day Adventist Church entry into the tropical lands of the Caribbean is the story of tracks, co-porters, and dedicated women who are sharing the message as well. In Mexico, you know, this is just, just blows my mind. This Italian-American comes to Mexico. He has no Spanish books, only the English version of the Great Controversy. Goes there, sells them, and starts to work in Mexico as well. There was a Methodist preacher in Haiti. Uh, again, he was pleading with the Lord for, for, for God to speak to him. And some of his students brought him a, uh, a book about the Sabbath by J. N. Andrews. And this is what it says. By the time the first Adventist worker arrived in Haiti late in, in 1805, there were several small congregations ready for baptism. The books were just preaching the message. Ellen White says, There are many places in which the voice of the minister cannot be heard. Places which can be reached only by our publications. The books, papers, and tracts filled with the Bible truths that the people need. Oh, how many places there are that preachers will never reach. And we can reach them through publications. In the 1890s, we started a series of tracts called Apples of Gold. And I just love some of the titles. How Esther read her Bible. Imagine that. A tract. I'm going to share with you a tract called How Esther Read Her Bible. And again, this is 1910, four-year report of lay people doing the work. They were given 900,000 Bible studies. They have given out 25 million tracts, books, and papers. We have believed in sharing literature. In 1924, we had the bedtime stories. Now, the, the Second World War came, and, and again, we have made special edition of Army Edition of Steps to Christ. In fact, I own a copy of, of a special edition, uh, Army Edition of Steps to Christ. And they were given to soldiers to boost the morale. In the 50s, we have the Bible stories. And that's perhaps we see a little bit of shift in the literature ministry, where it's now more about children's books. And health books more than the message books. But then in the 50s, we see a revival in the literature ministry by getting every member involved through Missionary Book of the Year, which was a great thing. We also have seen people actually taking literature and placing them in their medical offices and business offices and, and even in, in bus stations and airline terminals. Now imagine that, walking into a a gate, you know, today and placing a literature rack there. I don't think we'll be so open to this. Now, I was just in Russia a couple months ago, and this is a handwritten copy of the Great Controversy. And then this is how they would produce the books right here. In their apartments, typing away, covered with blankets so the sun would not be carried away from the room. And many have paid the price, by the way. Many were imprisoned because they would do that. It's so, so touching to see that people were willing to, to even go to prison just only so they can have printed, printed material. And here are the different tools they have used to cut the pages. 
Here's a picture of, of, a brother, of, of a brother who was just retiring that day. He was just leaving the publishing house that day. It was a great privilege to be, uh, for him to give me a tour through, through the different sections of the time as they were sharing, as they were producing literature in the Soviet Union. Uh, praise the Lord for the revived interest in the publishing work in the last recent years. You know, Elder Wilson really believes in the publishing work. And so the plan in 2011 was to read and reread the great controversy and then in 2012 and 13 to distribute the great controversy and the goal was 175 million copies of the great controversy this was the largest uh, the largest um, outreach of our church we have ever seen now here is a picture of 50,000 adventists gathered together as they were distributing um, the great controversy in Brazil. Ellen White wrote, Every believer is called upon to scatter and broadcast tracts, leaflets, and books containing the message for this time. That's every believer. That includes each one of us. Now, there's a quote from the magazine called True Missionary. You remember I talked about how the Tract and Mission Society started and how the magazine was started along with it. And in that first issue, Ellen White wrote, she says, We're not keeping pace with the opening providence of God. Jesus and angels are at work. This cause is onward while we are standing still at being left in the rear. As I think about it, I think about how we have opportunities to share. Like, for example, the Haksa Rich movie. Okay? God is opening up opportunities for us to share the message. And we are blind to that. Every time we see something happen in the world, we must respond to that. Christmas time, well, I have a, something about Christmas. I have a special glow track about Christmas. You know, there's 4th of July. Every time there's something, the world pays attention to something, we must have a literature to, to minister to the people with that literature. Now, it's fascinating that God is opening up so many new doors today, including glow. How many have heard, heard of Glow Tracks before? Okay, Glow Tracks, great ministry. Started by this young man by the name Nelson Ernst. He was reading in, in Sister White's writing where she says, books, papers, and tracks. And she thought, you know, we are selling books, but what are we doing with tracks? And so finally, he developed a series of Glow Tracks. Now, Ellen White wrote, she says, carry with you wherever you go a package of select tracks which you can hand out as you have opportunity. And so here I have a pack of Chinese and, and uh, Hungarian and Arabic tracks in my packet. She says, you never know when you may have an opportunity to share those with others. I, I love to see this right here. I cannot tell you which country this is from, but this is the Middle East. Iraq in the church of Arabic glow tracks. In fact, they were responsible. These two young, young people right here in the front were responsible for sending the picture to me. Here is a rock in, in Hungary. Here is one in my mother's church in Czech. Uh, here's young people in Germany displaying glow tracks. This is, this is Ghana. Children in Ghana displaying glow tracks. This is the Philippines. You know, one of my favorite glow stories comes from the Philippines. There was a man who came to a, a city center and was distributing many glow tracks. And as it happens, when you do mass distribution, some people will drop it to the ground. And so some did. 
And finally, afterwards, there was a man who was sweeping the streets. He was cleaning the streets. And what they do in the Philippines, they will make a pile and then they would set on fire. Okay, so he comes, brings all the rubbish together and he sets on a fire. And so he was doing that. He was noticing there were some pieces of paper that would not burn. And finally, he picked up one of the glow tracks. He says, this is strange. And he took the lighter and he was trying to set the glow track on fire, but it would not burn. Finally, he, he just could not believe it. By this time, the Adventist man who was the one distributing those glow tracks was back. Now, there were many, many men are watching this phenomenon. Okay, they were like, wow, what's happening with this piece of paper that will not burn? Finally, the Adventist man decided to speak up. He says, I'm the one who was distributing those. And if you think this is something, then you want to come to my evangelistic meetings starting next week. Many of the men came and several were baptized because a glow track would not burn. Here is young people in Bolivia holding glow tracks, distributing glow tracks and, and the great controversy. Now look at this picture right here. It just, it just warms my heart. See this, this, uh, this shepherd woman. Um, holding a, a tract in her hand. And of course, you have probably heard about uh, our young people distributing millions of glow tracks like Philadelphia and the Super Bowl. But you know, the young people, they're a little crazy, you know. They think big. They say millions too easy. How about one billion? When I heard about it, I'm like, you guys are just, you're crazy. But they said, let's go and talk to the general conference about this. Let's aim for one billion. Well, this coming year, we have a new initiative called Mission 365. Tracks, books, daily. And this is really an idea of our young people. And um, we want all church members to be involved in this total member involvement initiative where Glow Tracks and the missionary books of the year are distributed with the goal of reaching one billion souls in 2017. This was introduced at the annual council. The general conference meets twice, twice a year where the union presidents and the division leaders and the general conference leaders come together and that Sabbath afternoon we went out door to door with glow tracks and the sharing books. We have loaded 37 buses. Church leaders went door to door together with the young people distributing literature. Now, God is doing great things for our, for, through our young people. There's a, there's a book called The Open Door. It's full of those stories, and it's available at booth number 225. I'll just tell you one story from this book. Um, there was a young lady in Arizona canvassing just a few years ago. And uh, when she handed the lady the great controversy, the lady looked at it, and she says, this is the book, this is the book. She said, what do you mean? She says, a year ago, another young person came to my door. I got this book. I read it. It changed my life. Praise the Lord. Amen? But then she says, you know, I, as I read this book and as I gave my life to Jesus, I wondered if I gave my life to Jesus, why is my husband still treating me the way he is? And she thought, if this book changed my life, it can change his life too. She began to think, how can I make my husband read this book? Then she says, you know... Let me just put this book on, on the table in the living room and hoping he will pick it up and read it. One day while she was in town, he picked it up and he began to read it. But you know, he's a race Catholic. And he actually hated what he was reading. 
as he was reading the, the history of the church. And, and finally, he was filled with so much anger that he took the great controversy and he threw it in the burning fireplace. Just a couple hours later, when he, his wife came home and she found him sitting in a chair. And with tears in his eyes and with a great controversy in his hands, he said, this book must be from God because he would not burn. This book is full of, of miracle stories of our young people today working for God. I'll tell you one more story. Heidi was working in the kitchen. You know, there's time to work as a student canvasser and there's time to be doing duties. That's what she was doing. She was doing the dishes. Suddenly she heard a voice. Pick up your cold water bag and start knocking on doors. She says it was, the voice was so obvious. It was from the Lord. I just picked up my cold water bag and began knocking on doors. Nobody was home. Nobody was responding. I wondered to myself, why is there so, such a strong impression and yet nothing is happening? Finally, she walked up to a school building and nothing happened there. And so she was walking, walking back from the, from the school into the parking lot. And there was only one car in the middle of the parking lot. And she's walking towards the car because she knew God called her to go and start knocking on doors and meeting people. And she saw a lady in the car on the phone. And she's like, what am I doing here? She's bothering this lady. And she just stood by the window while this lady is on the phone. And she's like, oh, what am I doing? The window opened and, and Heidi took a book called Peace About the Storm and she put it in the hands of that woman. She began to explain to her what this book is about. And, and, but she just felt, she felt bad, you know, bothering this lady. Finally, with tears in the lady's eyes, she pointed to several knives that were on the passenger seat. And she said, I just made my last phone call saying my final goodbye to my best friend. So I didn't reach her, I just left a message. Told her life is too difficult to live. And so I just say my goodbye. And she says, while I was leaving that message, I whispered a prayer to God. I said, God, if you don't want me to end my life, you need to do something. But you better do it quickly because I'm about to do it. Right there was Heidi standing, ministered to that woman. That's in that book as well. Just, just amazing how God is using our young people. So for young people who are interested in, in doing this ministry, there's a website called theopendoorbook.com. And, and when you click on mission, it will show you what's available in your conference. For GLOW, there's a website called glowonline.org. And then, of course, for the Mission 365, for the big initiative next year, this, this coming year, 2017, it's called Mission 365. Net. Now, today we have 63 publishing houses. We have uh, publications in 363 different languages, 23,000 literature evangelists. I tell you what, every day they knock on those doors, winning souls. We have 17,000 literature evangelists. Now, I, I had the privilege of visiting this publishing house in Ghana called the Advent Press. You know, it's, it's such a privilege to read about those places and then be able to visit those. And um, God is using our printing houses. It's very important to have printing houses in different parts of the world. There are countries where um, 
the government may just shut down the borders and you cannot bring a literature from the outside. And so you must be able to actually print literature in your own country. And that's why having publishing houses in different countries is very, very crucial. Now, watch this. This is the statistic that was done by, uh, this was done by Gullup. Um, and they were looking at how many people actually attend the church in the United States. And they have figured out that around 39% of people attend the church. Okay? Now, I'm going to use the term that is used in the evangelical world. And it's called um, the churched and unchurched. Okay? They feel like if, if people come to church, they are, they are all set. But we need to reach the unchurched, the people who don't come to the church. And so if we look at with their eyes, we discover that 78 million people attend the church and 122 million don't attend the church. Now, there's still a lot of work to be done with 122 million. But we as Adventists don't believe in this. Okay? We don't believe in the church and unchurched because even the church need the message. Amen? And so when you look at that, there's only one million, it's really only half a million really in, in the United States that attend the church. And that leaves us with 199 million people that need to be reached in the United States. Now you tell me, how can this be done? And I believe the literature will play a major role. In fact, Sister White wrote, we cannot too highly estimate this work for were not for the efforts of the canvassers many would never hear the warning. The living preacher and the silent messenger are both required for the accomplishment of the great work before us. Now, in, in Michigan conference alone, last summer, young people distributed 50,000 pieces of literature. Almost 7,000 great controversies. And sometimes I wonder... What's happening? How come we don't see the people coming to the churches yet? You know, there's so many books in people's homes. I remember visiting this one woman with another student literature evangelist, and and we show her the Desert of Ages, and she says, "I've seen this book before," and and she says, "In fact, I have this book," and she pulled out this thick volume of the Desert of Ages hardcover book, and so I just sat down and says, "Ma'am, can I just read something from this book for you?" And we just open up to the chapter invitation and we begin to read it. And she's like, wow, that's beautiful. And I had it in my home for all those years. There's coming a day when they'll pick it up and read those books. You know, when you look at the Japanese bamboo, the farmers who plant those seeds, they need a lot of faith. They plant the seed First, they have to prepare the soil and they work the ground. They, they remove the stones. They, they work the ground. Finally, they put the seed in the ground. And months later, there's nothing happening. In fact, a year later, there's no sign of life. There's nothing coming through the soil. It's two years later and there's nothing coming through the soil. It's three years Nothing is happening. And of course, the farmers with no experience would just walk away and perhaps plant another seed because they would assume nothing is happening. Four years later, five years later, nothing is happening. Finally, after seven years of nothingness, something is happening now. And in only 12 to 15 weeks, this thing grows 100 feet. In only 12 weeks. In fact, you can almost see this growing by hour. 
Nothing's happening for many years, and finally, when it takes off, it takes off. But you know what? The roots have an incredible system where it, where it sets the root, root system where nothing, nothing can move them. When a storm comes through, everything is moved except the bamboo trees. You know, same thing is happening with the literature. The literature, it's, it's like waiting to, to, to be set as a bomb and it will, when it will explode, it's going to explode big. Ellen White wrote, thousands in the 11th hour will see and acknowledge the truth. These conversions, truth, will be made with rapidity. They will surprise the church. As we'll see things happening, we'll be like, wow, I can just cannot believe this is happening. There is, again, this is Gospel Workers, page 25. There is great need of man who can use the press to the best advantage. That the truth may be given wings to speed it to every nation and tongue and people. Now when I read the phrase, to every nation, tongue and people, I think of the three angels' messages. And she says, to give us speed to the wings, let's use the literature. Alma, it says, more than 1,000 will soon be converted in one day, and most of whom will trace their first convictions to the reading of our publications. One day. There will be thousands baptized, and most of them will, be, will come into the church because they have first heard about the Adventist message to literature work. She says, when, the, when divine power is combined with human effort, the work will spread like fire in the stubble. Then Ellen White is now talking about the Revelation 18 message, Babylon is fallen message, and she says, in a large degree, through our publishing houses, is to accomplish the work of that other angel who comes down from heaven with great power and who lightens the earth with his glory. So she says, in, in a large degree, in a big way, the proclamation of, of Revelation 18 will be done through our publishing houses again. Now, this is very encouraging. This is, if you look at the, the, in the Great Controversy, in the chapter, the final warning, okay? This is the chapter right before, um, right before the, um, um, what is it called? Um, I forgot. It's, anyways, it's chapter 39. So the final work, uh, the final warning chapter, and the final paragraph, this is what she says, the message will be carried not so much by argument as by the deep conviction of the Spirit of God. The arguments have been presented. The seed has been sown, and now it will spring up and bear fruit. Okay, so she's now kind of giving us the closing scenes of the work. Now listen to what she says. The publications distributed by missionary workers have exerted their influence, yet many whose minds were impressed, have been prevented from fully comprehending the truth or from yielding obedience. You know, I sometimes listen to church leaders in different church levels, and they said, you know, the work of the printed page is over. There's no future for this. Let's close down the review. In fact, they, they even think about, let's close down the Pacific Press. Now, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that right now. But in the future, that's their vision. In the future, let's close down. We don't need the, the publishing houses anymore. I'm glad to see this. In the very final paragraph of the final warning, Sister White says, 
there will be publications distributed by missionary workers that will impact people. And then she continues describing this whole experience of how uh, it will reach people. In closing, I want to share with you uh, perhaps my favorite literature story and just, just really illustrates how God is ready to use literature, doesn't matter where you are. You know, it is said of Europe that it's very secular and you really cannot reach Europe with a message anymore. Because my question is then why did God give us the message for the end time when he knew we'll be dealing with secular Europe and we'll be dealing with the Middle East, we'll be dealing with countries that are just difficult to reach, you know, who don't believe in the Bible. God still gave us the message to give it to those people. And so there was this German woman who uh, lived in Portugal and she was heading home to, to Germany to visit some friends. As she was traveling, she got on the phone, she called her friends, she said, when I, when I arrived in Germany, I would like to get a few copies of the Great Controversy. The year was 2012, and it was the Great Controversy year, and she wanted to be part of it. And so when she arrived, she expected few copies of the Great Controversy. Her friend gave her 50 copies of the book. He gave her a box of 50, 50 books. The first thought that came to her mind was, what is he thinking? To give me so many books. The second thought that came to her mind was, I wonder how God will use these books. You know, that is the right question to ask. As you take glow tracks, as you take sharing books with you, you know, the question you want to ask is, I wonder how God will use this literature. And so she put it in the back of her seat and uh, of her car, and, and sometime later she's now traveling back to Portugal with 50 great controversies in her car. As she's traveling on Autobahn in Germany with no speed limit, I love the highway, um, she suddenly has to come to complete stop. This is a traffic jam. One of those mega jams where people are getting out of their cars and just talking to each other because we're not going anywhere. She began to think about what should I do with my time? That's when she remembered, you know, I have my Sabbath school lesson and, and my Bible. So she began to study her lesson. And as she's studying her lesson, there was a young man who noticed her reading something. So she, he walked over her window and says, can you tell me what you're reading? And she says, yeah, I'm, I'm reading this lesson about how Jesus will return one day. The young man has never heard of this before. He says, where do you get this information? She says, it's in the Bible. Really, can you show me in the Bible where it says that Jesus is going to come back? And so she began to show him in the Bible about this Jesus who's going to come back. He thanked her for the information and, and is now going back in his car. And that's when she remembered, I have those great controversies in my car. So she quickly called him back and says, you know, I have a book that will tell you more about this Jesus who's going to come back. And she hands him a book called The Great Controversy and he's walking back in his car, but God was not finished working yet. He tells his wife about this conversation, and the wife has never heard about this Jesus either, and so she wants to hear more about this Jesus. She walks up to our sister and says, can you tell me what you told my husband about this Jesus coming back? And they begin to talk. Finally, more people were curious about what these two ladies were talking about, and, and so they began to gather around her car and after a few dozen of people were gathered around, she stepped out of her car so they can hear her better. 
And she began to tell them about this Jesus who's coming back. And then she says, I have a book. They will tell you more about this. It's called The Great Controversy. And she gave everybody a copy of this book. By the time she was done giving those books away, she had only three copies left. They took the book. They began to walk towards their cars. They thanked her. But God was not finished working yet. It was only moments later when they heard a sound of a helicopter flying over their heads. And it was landing on a grass very close to where she was parked. One of the policemen walked out. And he was welcomed by the audience, by the people who just moments earlier were listening to the Adam's lady. And, and the policeman explained that as they watched the satellite images of the highway, they saw a large gathering of people on the highway. And they said, surely there must be a medical emergency. And so they dispatched a helicopter to respond to the medical emergency. The, the audience explained to the policeman that the reason why they gathered around is because of this woman who told them about this Jesus and about this book called The Great Controversy. He said, I'd like to get a copy for myself and two more for my friends in the helicopter. By now, she has no more books in her box. He thanks her for the book and is now walking back towards the helicopter, but God was not finished working yet. As you can imagine, the presence of the helicopter attracted many more people. They want to know why the helicopter was here. And they were told about this woman. They were told about this Jesus and about this book called The Great Controversy. They too wanted a copy of this book, but she didn't have any more copies to give away. But she says, if you give me your address, I will mail you a copy. And so she received a stack of addresses of people who wanted that book as well. You know, we're not finished working until God is finished. And it's very clear to me that God will use literature in a, in a major, major way. You know what's interesting about the story? After she collected those addresses, she got in her car and the vehicles began to move. It's God's timing, you know. And I believe it's God's timing for us to give literature out like never before. You can get hold of Glow Tracks through glowonline.org. You can get hold of the, the sharing books through um, contacting us through mission365.net. My email, you cannot see that clearly here, is global at glowonline.org. That's my email. But you know, as I look back, how God has used literature in the past it gives me confidence. No, that God will use it in the future. But he will use it in so much bigger ways. As Sister White wrote, from the small beginning, it was shown to be like the streams of light that were created around the world. And, and that we have the torch in our hands now. And the pioneers, with eyes of faith, of course, are cheering us on. And just, just one day they'll ask us in heaven, so what did you do? How did you? And the Lord has, has been doing so much through our young people. And I know he will do so much more in the future. We praise the Lord for it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we pray uh, for the literature that has been placed in many homes. Lord, there's millions upon millions of books laying in people's homes. They have promised that one day you will draw their attention to pick up those books. And I pray even now, even right now, this hour, there will be people who will pick up those books and they will start searching for our churches. And Lord, I pray that you will give us greater vision that we have ever had 
to see more books being placed in people's homes than we, we have ever seen. And so, Lord, help us to do our part. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, When All Has Been Heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.